welcome to the One Football Premier League podcast. Wolves pile the misery on Spurs. Trippier's the hero once more. We look ahead to an almighty Champions League clash, plus plenty more on today's podcast. As joining myself, Matt Froelich, are Lewis Ambrose. Good afternoon. And Alex Mott. Hello. I thought uh, we'd start with a football of the American kind. Did any of you watch <laughs> the Super Bowl? I did watch the Super Bowl last He's, night. Yeah. Are you into it, Alex? Can you explain uh, a bit? Because I'm not, I'm lost. I'm not, like, I'm not massively into it, but yeah, I just thought, I don't know, I'd give it a go this year. Thought, I thought the halftime show was very good. That's probably the best one of those that I've seen in a while. That was the thing that piqued my interest most, really. But the game generally was pretty, pretty meh, I've got to be honest. I saw, I, I quickly looked at the result because I thought not only... Am I not really interested in watching it? I'm not interested in staying up late to watch it. I saw that the LA Rams beat Cincinnati Bengals 23-20. to I don't know if that's considered a battering or a sneaky 2-1 away win. Uh, um, they were sort yeah. of... Um, the Bengals were leading up until like the final two minutes and then there was like a... I don't even know what the right word is. There was, there was like a big play at the end of the game and then there was a <laughs> touchdown with like, yeah, but a minute to go. So it was the last quarter was pretty good, but yeah, the rest of it was oh, pretty turgid, I've got to be honest. There you have our NFL expert, Alex Mott, summing up, <laughs> yeah. summing up the yeah. Super Bowl, um, which I, I feel like Leicester fans could resonate with blowing it late on. Um, but more, more on them a little bit later, actually. Let's move on to our football as we know it on this side of the pond. Um, and we'll start at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, where Wolves rounds off a dreadful week for Spurs, inflicting back-to-back Premier League's defeat on them with a 2-0 victory. Um, two goals so neatly gift-wrapped that the Spurs defence probably signed a Valentine's Day card to go with them. <laughs> uh, Lewis, does Antonio Conte keep shooting himself in the foot by sticking to this 3-4-3, 3-5-2 hybrid when it's clear the players aren't capable of doing it? Um, he switched to a back four during the first half, which is a bit unusual for him. I I don't know. I don't know if the players are not capable of doing it, or if they're more if they, if they would be more capable of playing a different way. I think he's, you know, you compare it to the Chelsea team that he had and the Juventus teams that he had and the Inter Milan team from last season. And I think the players aren't capable of playing any sort of way in a way that's going to win football matches every single week. I think Spurs need to find a way to keep clean sheets, which when you do shoot yourself in the foot, is quite difficult. But they need to just keep away, make, find a way of keeping things tight, as tight as possible, and then allow Son and Kane to win them games up the other end of the pitch, which, to be fair, even though Wolves were the better side and obviously got their noses in front, even then, Son and Kane had a couple of, of chances on the break or in the second half. They got themselves into a little bit of space and looked like they could score. So, you know, one goal and they're back in it. I think this is probably the best way for Tottenham to try and clean sheets and let those two do the business at the other end of the pitch. It's just not really working at the moment. Yeah, that, that brief spell where we thought Jose Mourinho was actually going to do something with Spurs, that was literally <laughs> it. That that game, that run where Spurs went top of the table whenever it was 18 months or so ago, it was just keep it tight and let the front two do their thing. That, that was literally about that, it. Like, I think those two, I think, could play for any other team in, in the league. And except for those two, I don't think any other Spurs player would get in. That's the difference. The, the other sort of, you know, the Chelsea, Liverpool, Man City, even Arsenal, maybe West Ham, Man United. I think it's just Son and Kane. So I think that's probably the best way forward. It it's just relies on them to stay in fear and everybody else managing to keep clean sheets as well at the same time. And on top of this, 
there's the mentality which has been spoken about a lot and uh, one of Conte's quotes in the post-match press conference was the problem is you cannot buy the winning mentality. Um, so Alex, how else do they go about instilling it into the squad? Um, is Conte not sort of telling on himself a bit there? Because surely it is his job to instill a mini- winning mentality into the Tottenham players and I mean he clearly hasn't done that yet, has he? I don't know, it seems like it seemed to me that they looked like they might have, they were onto something. So definitely before Christmas, I remember that game against Liverpool. I know Liverpool had, had a man sent off in that game, didn't they? But Tottenham looked like really good at points. And yeah, I remember they beat Palace over Christmas as well. So, but then recently, it just, yeah, so definitely that Southampton game last week. And then even at the weekend, they they played like pretty well, actually. I was definitely in the second half, I thought they were like, okay. It was just... Yeah, like you mentioned earlier, they just totally shot themselves in the foot in the first half of, yeah, some properly comical defending. And then Hugo Lloris, I think, has been brilliant for Tottenham and definitely deserves his new contract. Yeah, he's just had a bit of a nightmare, didn't he, trying to play that pass to Ben Davis. So, I don't know, Matt, as a Tottenham fan, is is it more frustrating for you because they actually played pretty well in the second half? But, yeah, the, the points just weren't there because there's two stupid goals in the first half. It is a little bit, but it's also just so, so typical of Tottenham trying to claw themselves back into it. Like the the um, the Watford game was a late 1-0 and the Leicester game. You know, it's brilliant to turn things around late on, but you should have been in this position in the first place if you're actually yeah. trying to be serious about certainly getting into the top four. I, I, I will admit I took that little quote out of a bigger, larger quote from Conte talking about instilling the mentality every single day, every session, every time on the pitch, everything they do, they have to be prepared to die for it. And either it's not getting across to them or they haven't quite got the players to do so. I'm, I'm finally, I think, understanding that things can't be fixed in one transfer window. No. As much as Newcastle not. will have you believe things can be fixed in one <laughs> transfer window, they most certainly can't. Um, again, more of them a little bit later. As for Wolves, though, they really looked the part. They were pretty good defensively. Um, I thought they took their chances and got a little bit lucky where they needed to. But, you know, that's nothing against them. Lewis, is this the first time that a team has looked better off after selling a player to Barcelona without bringing in a surefire <laughs> replacement? I don't know. I watch my team sell Alex Song and Thomas Lamar to Barcelona. <laughs> for, for yeah, let's say a star player. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think considering he's gone to Barcelona and he's started quite well there as well, it's really promising for Wolves that they've managed to to look really good the last few games. I don't think they miss him too much, at least for the time being. So it'll be those I think it'll be those other games when they might struggle a little bit when they need to break down a defence and he's obviously a player who's got that little bit of magic who can just do something out of nothing and drag three or four players towards him and create space for others. So they might miss him when it comes to that. As for, you know, you played Arsenal last week and, and narrowly lost and playing Spurs. I think these are the sorts of games where they won't miss him at all because you're not relying on that bit of mag- magic. You're just looking to stay solid and then take your chance when it arrives. And that's exactly what they did this weekend. I think they've yeah. had a really impressive season so far. Their strength really is their defensive solidity and losing Adama Traore doesn't damage that too much. And then you'd always back them to nick a goal in a game. So they look a really good bet for Europe at the moment, I think. I, I was I think thinking pro- that. Go on, sorry. Yeah, I think the problem the problem for Wolves, though, is just goals, isn't it? I know they scored two this weekend, but yeah. I look, yeah, only Burnley and Norwich have scored fewer than them this season, which, yeah, is sort of mad when you think about it. Yeah, they've 
21 goals. And if you sort of average it out, that means they're on track for 36 in the entire season. Um, so, yeah, they, they definitely need... I, I, Quang uh, came off the bench. Quang, uh, sorry, came off the bench um, and looked okay. And obviously, Raúl Jiménez has had that bad injury and looks some, back to somewhat his best. But yeah, they just they need someone to regularly score for them because yeah, I could definitely see them potentially finishing top four. Nobody else seems to want, want it at the moment. But yeah, they do need to score a few more goals. I think. I I think that's what when you, when you describe these sort of teams, I've written here they seem to be going about their business quietly. I think that's what it means. When a team is is challenging for top four and it, it's an outside shot for Wolves, it's when they don't score too many or blow teams away that no one really seems to notice. Yeah, yeah. Um, but for certainly, look, if they can keep this up, there are some top four aspirations. I think it will be the greatest top four qualification in Premier League history without winning the title. <laughs> without is winning. that because all the teams are so bad? Is that why? I just think there's so many. Like, <laughs> yeah. like you look at that fourth West Ham, Arsenal, United... Spurs, Wolves, Brighton, potentially very, very long shot in ninth. That's a lot of teams for one position. So I think yeah. it will be it'll be rather interesting. Um, one of those teams definitely playing in the Champions League next season will be Manchester City, seeing as they're so far ahead of everyone else. Um, I wouldn't even know what the gap actually from them to fifth is. It's probably a good 20 points or so. Um Next up, though, we do go to Carrowood, where they played and where they brushed Norwich aside 4-0. Pep Guardiola made five changes to his side before they face uh, Sporting in the Champions League this week and we're still on top form. I, I don't know how he picks them each week because it's almost like picking... What's the opposite of the lesser of two evils? <laughs> like, just just everyone's so good that it doesn't yeah. even matter who you pick. That's ridiculous. Um, one, one interesting factor, though, and... I have this conversation quite a lot with a mate who's a Manchester United fan. So this probably gives you an inkling as to why he's asked this. But do you think Pep's systematic style of play is almost boring, Alex? Like, does it reduce the chance of an unexpected moment of brilliance from a player in his system? Um, I think Jack Grealish should probably agree with that um, this season. I'd, I mean, I'm not sure I find it boring. In the top games, It's always they're always very impressive, I think, against the better teams. I think... Teams, when they go to places like Norwich, they're just sort of dead rubbers, aren't they? They're like England going to Italy in the Six Nations this weekend. There's just so much better and they just totally overpower the smaller That's clubs. That's the third but sport did... we've had on this podcast. We're <laughs> yeah. only 10 minutes in. Um, but I did think, even even though they obviously they won 4-0, I did think there were sort of signs for Liverpool in a title race. You know, there's a definite drop-off. When Nathan Ake and Zinchenko are in the side, I thought Norwich was it. Grant Hanley had a good chance mm. when it was when it was still one 0 So I think you know a better team could probably would capitalise on that. But yeah, there's I mean they're they're so good. I think they probably will run away with the title. There were a few signs there that Pep will be thinking about. I, I would definitely agree with you on the Grealish comment as well, though. I just everything that made him a sort of standout Maverick-style player at Villa is just sucked out of him at Man City. And he yeah, just becomes but, but a very I suppose Mar Mares, maybe it just takes players a while to get used to the, sort of the way that 
Pep, Pep's teams play because you know Mara's this season has been unbelievable, really, hasn't he? In, in terms of his numbers mm. and goal contributions, Sterling as well. He's scored, I think he's scored nine in his last ten now, um, which is is incredible, really. He sort of looks like a penalty box poacher. So I don't know, maybe Grealish just needs this year to get used to the style of play, and next year will sort of find his niche within that system. You know. I just feel like I was I was thinking about Mavericks back in the day, thinking yeah. if they were around now, Berbatov never signs for Man City. If Berbatov's <laughs> in his prime now, he Guardiola looks at him and goes, I just can't get this guy to do everything I need from a forward at Man City. Same thing with Decanio back in the day at West Ham. Like they're just so beautifully brilliant in their own way. I I couldn't see them signing for City. There's I think some, it would there's be a something... shame. No. Something a bit unromantic about mm. the way they play. I think it's a, I think it's brilliant, and I think I don't think it's boring. I think it's entertaining, but there is something. I think that lack of space for an individual, like you say, Matt, maybe to drop off a little bit in Grealish. I don't think that Grealish has necessarily even had much of a drop in his performance. It's just the way that he plays is a little bit different. Yeah, and yeah, it's players definitely. I don't think don't have the space to express themselves in quite the same way, which is a shame, but then you watch them and you see the results and absolutely nobody can argue with it yeah. as, a, as a way of winning football matches. That's the problem. Absolutely nobody argues because he just gets out the trophy cabinet and you're like, well, I haven't got anything to say. <laughs> uh, but but we did mention Raheem Sterling there, actually, and uh, he grabbed a hat-trick, which means he has 10 or more Premier League goals in the last five seasons, along with three Premier League titles, an FA Cup, four League Cups, a Community Shield, 72 caps and 18 goals for England. Uh, Lewis, at this point, is it more difficult to argue against him going down as a Premier League legend than it is for him? He's only just 27 as well. Yeah, I I wouldn't argue against anyone calling him a Premier League legend. I don't think you'd you've listed all of that there. Mm. Uh, yeah, I think absolutely he's he's been one of the best players in the league for what five or six years now. You can go back almost 10 years when he was part of that Liverpool front three that almost inspired them to the title, and obviously. Luis Suarez stood out then, but it wasn't just him. It was Daniel Sturridge mm. and Raheem Sterling as well, blowing teams away. So to be able to do it for that long at the top and still be going, and as you say, was it five years in a row with 10, 10 or more goals? Yeah. yeah, I mean, as a winger, he's, he's not a striker. He's not a centre forward. I think it's pretty sensational for a Man City team or a Man City squad that's so stacked that means nobody starts every week like you said trying to pick this 11 every single week and you've got Mares and Grealish and Foden and Bernardo Silva and De Bruyne and Sterling I don't imagine he's started more than sort of 28 29 30 games in those seasons the last four or five mm. anyway so yeah, I, w I wouldn't argue at all. I think Man City, we have to say that this Man City team is is possibly the greatest that the Premier League's ever seen over the past few years. And he's been absolutely crucial every step of the way. And uh, on the flip side of this, we mentioned Grant Hanley's attempt and that was sort of about it for Norwich. Sorry, guys. There's not much to say about them this week. I guess, <laughs> I guess there's no shame in losing to Manchester City. That's all I will say for Norwich as they continue their, their defensive and... Uh, Defensive worries and relegation struggle. Uh, moving on, though, into another team at the top of the uh, table, even, against another team at the bottom of the table. And it's at Turf Moor, where Liverpool overcame a banana skin, Jurgen Klopp said. He said, everything was set up to be a banana skin for us. Now, 
I don't know about you, but firstly, it's not the nicest thing to say about a team that they're basically just an annoying small obstacle on the path to success. And secondly, I don't think Klopp says that to Dyche's face. I, I just don't think, I don't, think, I don't think he's got the minerals for it. Would you oh, be offended, I Lewis? He, I reckon he does. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, didn't they have a big like bust they had up a little scrap. tunnel? Yeah, but Klopp year, ran down the tunnel. Yeah. Yeah, he did. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, he did. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to call out a Premier League manager for not wanting <laughs> to fight another Premier League manager. Um, <laughs> uh, I reckon, I reckon he'd say it to to pretty much anybody's face. Uh, would I be offended? I guess I'd be a bit upset if I was if I was a Burnley player or if I was Sean Dyche. But also, you've got the the champions of two years ago trying to catch the the team top of the table, and they're playing against the team that's won one game i think all season so yeah yeah you can't really argue with it i don't think <laughs> burnley kind of are or were this weekend a little bit of a obstacle in the way of liverpool's strive for success i suppose i just it made them seem like he was playing mario kart and they were just a banana yeah. you just sort of avoid them <laughs> and they're just irrelevant I wasn't overly yeah. keen about it i mean it wasn't a great but... game in all honesty so no, I think I think after especially after United drop points there in midweek, uh, Liverpool would just be happy to have got out of there with three mm. points, and and it's almost a compliment in there somewhere as well. Where Burnley are this banana skin, like you don't say that about Norwich at home, but Burnley away, yeah, you can, like you can see yourself slipping up there and maybe I, dropping points. I think it was more Klopp being sort of uh, anti-Burnley weather. He was mentioning the rain, the cold. <laughs> he, hates the wind, he just doesn't, doesn't like he? that part of the country. That's what it is. Uh, having said that, though, they did come away, like I mentioned, with a 1 0 victory. Uh, did you think there would ever be a bit of a Mo Salah Sadio Mane disconnect after the AFCON final, Alex? Uh, no, I'd, I no, I wouldn't have thought so. They're both they're both professional players, aren't they? I don't think that that would sort of yeah impact on the season going ahead. Mm. I, yeah, I thought Liverpool were well, yeah, like I say, it wasn't a classic, but yeah, the. It's a bit of a cliche, but the best teams sort of grind out wins when they're not playing well, don't they? And yeah, it was they just got the job done, really. I think, and for Burnley, yeah, I think it's a big worry for them now. Yeah, like you said, they won one game all season. I think they scored 14 goals. That's it, the lowest in the league. I know Veghorst has joined, and he he looks like he's something a little bit different, but. He had that one chance when going through in the second half when he should have chipped it over Allison and just sort of fluffed it a bit. So, um, and then yeah, quite corner was sort of put out wide. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that he should be a bit further up, up the pitch for me. I like, want him to sort of link up with Veghorst and yeah, that wouldn't be starting Jay Rodriguez. But it is. Yeah, if I was a Burnley fan, I'd I'd be a little bit concerned. But yeah, the total opposite for Liverpool. I think they look as they look as good as they've ever done. I know Klopp has said recently that this is his best team he's ever had. And I, yeah, you just sort of look at the players that didn't even get in the squad at the weekend. It's sort of you know, Joe Gomez, Minamino, Curtis Jones. So, yeah, one of the one of the big problems for them now is they've got everyone fit, which they haven't really had for a long time. So, um, yeah, Liverpool look better than ever at the moment. Um, you mentioned they're Burnley looking in a bit of trouble. Is anybody mm. giving them some hope? Lewis, Alex, anyone? Uh, no, I, I, I can't I see it now, yeah. to be honest. Sorry, go on, Alex. Uh, yeah, I just, I mean, like, you just have to look at the facts. They've won one game and scored 17 goals. <laughs> so I just, there's not really much more to add to that, really, for me. Uh, I just, I don't see at this point them turning it around. What, the only thing that could save them, really, is if there's, 
three clubs that are worse than them, but I, I, I don't think there is. Newcastle seems to have turned a corner. Everton, look, I mean, that win of the weekend was pretty good, but yeah, I just don't really see there being three worse teams than them, to be honest. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think they basically, they're going to have to win all the games they have against, you know, Watford, Norwich, Newcastle, Brentford, and they're probably so far behind that they're going to have to win all those games and pick up points in other games as well. And I don't see them picking up points, certainly not more than just a few draws against anyone in the top half. Well, they've got Spurs coming up in about 10 days or so, so... Probably be a nice two points for them. Anyway, we'll, yeah. we'll move on to another another of the teams you mentioned there, Alex. And uh, Newcastle United and a 1-0 victory over Aston Villa. The Toonami rejoicing after a third win on the spin for them, proving that things can be solved, like I said, in a transfer window. Uh, Kieran Trippier <laughs> smashed in a free kick, captain the side, and then went off with apparently a broken bone in his foot. Has anyone ever been so important to a side in such a short space of time? Surely this doesn't ruin all hope for Newcastle, Lewis. I mean, it's it's hardly Michael Owen's metatarsal before a World Cup. <laughs> no, Kieran Trippier's fractured foot. It's, uh, I don't I don't see newspapers around the country printing <laughs> yeah. those yeah. out for people just sticking their windows. <laughs> yeah. um, maybe maybe the echo will up in the northeast. <laughs> I, I I don't know. I. At the end of the day, and no disrespect, and we see like Alexander Arnold and Joe Cancelo, but he's also a right back. Like if Newcastle yeah. are going to stay up, it's not going to be because Kieran Trippier is going to score a free kick every single mm. week. It, they're going to need you know Saint Maximan to go on a run of form for Chris Wood to start scoring. They're going to need to find ways to to keep clean sheets like they did at the weekend. I think the the win against you know the win against Everton last week they'd actually played really well in that and were deservedly ahead before Trippier scored. So it's a blow, obviously, but I think we've seen enough the last couple of games that Newcastle have started to turn a corner that they can continue to turn, even if they're going to have to play, I don't know, Paul Dummett at right back for the next few weeks or the next month or so. Oh, shade on Paul Dummett there. But I don't even <laughs> mean. Oh, he's, not, he's not a La Liga winner, is he? He's not an league winner. You're right, and if they if not they yet. are relying on a free kick to go in every game, they you know they've got bigger problems than just Trippier's foot. You're right. Uh, they did win one nil. Aston Villa looked destined for a mid table finish. I think they'll have a few bright spots along the way, and Coutinho's form is good. But I'm not quite sure they're set for anything spectacular. But talking of teams pulling themselves away from trouble, Everton were comfortable three nil winners at Goodison Park. Is this what we should be expecting, Alex, from a team boasting of the talents of Van der Beek, Richarlison, Calvert-Lewin and others? I mean, Everton is such a strange team at the moment. I, I mean, that defeat at Newcastle, I just, I just thought, well, they might as well be good as gone because that was absolutely dreadful. But yeah, I know they, they did it really good. I think, yeah, Van der, Van der Beek, from, from what I saw at the weekend, looked like the player that Man United thought they were signing two years ago. Um, they, I mean, they have a lot of injuries. I know a lot of, everyone has injuries, but Everton have been particularly struck with injuries this season. But yeah, that, that midfield two of Alan van der Beek and then Awobi and Gordon either side of them, that that looks really promising. That, yeah, Calvert-Lewin getting back to some sort of fitness is, is a positive. Richarlison seeming like he's up for it again is a positive for them. So they've got sort of the ingredients are there for, for something good. Yeah, they just... they. Just need to keep picking up points, don't they? And but but I will say Leeds were very accommodating, as Leeds can be to teams sometimes. They just 
yeah, they just, they just, if I was a Leeds fan, I'd, I'd be pulling my hair out because they're such a frustrating watch at the moment. They just they don't really seem to know what they're doing. But yeah, no, hey, but that takes nothing away from everyone. I thought we were really good. But yeah, the big the big plus for me was Van der Beek. I thought he was excellent. I I really agree. I've I've got a mate who's a, who's a Leeds fan, and they seem to be a club without a bigger picture. Everything is just uh, week by week, and I don't understand that where how Bielsa working on a 12-month rolling contract ever lets them lay plans for the future. I mean, look, if Leeds get relegated this season, I think Bielsa leaves. I don't think he takes up the challenge of getting them out of the championship for a second time. And if he stays, they need serious investment to make sure that this sort of season's performance doesn't happen again. So with him working season to season, it doesn't exactly say, oh, we've got a long-term plan. You know, we're going to go here, here and here, and this manager's going to develop the players because he might be leaving soon. I don't quite understand what their plan is. Where do you think Leeds go from here, Lewis? I, I do. I think he'll leave at the end of the season, no matter what. Yeah, to be honest, I I agree, even yeah. even last summer there was. It took a long time for him to sign that contract mm. after they'd had that really good first year back in the Premier League. So I don't see him him being Leeds manager next season. And then it's been a bit of a weird year with obviously his future once again hanging over the club. Calvin Phillips and Patrick Bamford, I think. Two, the two players that were superb last season have been out for lengthy spells, both of them. They've been playing without a striker for weeks. So it, it's been a weird season. I think it's one of those when you, you sort of get to February, March, like now, and you look at the league table as leads and you obviously want to be further up it, but you're just sort of thinking, right, let's just stay up and get to May and then next season's when we start to answer those questions a little bit. And I think it'll be really good time for Bielsa to leave and for the club to move on as long as they do stay up which which I think they will you've got next year I think if a new manager had come in last summer after they'd had that first season in the league the expectation would have been sort of start to challenge for Europe start to challenge be sort of where Everton um, sorry where um, Aston Villa look to be and where Brighton look like they are this season and Wolves now with this season the way that it's gone a new manager can come in and the expectation like that doesn't really exist and they'll just have a bit of time to figure their own team out, maybe bed new players in, maybe they have to replace Rafinha or something like that. And then next season they can give it a proper crack when people don't really fancy them again. I think definitely Rafinha is one of them to go. They've got a few stars who would probably attract some interest, but I think Rafinha is definitely one of them. Uh, we spoke earlier actually about Wolves going about their business quietly and only four points and two places behind them are Brighton, who themselves are pushing into the shout for European places very quietly. Um, I've come to the conclusion that Brighton are doing a Wolves and Wolves are doing a Brighton. They're both just sort of, they're just sort of there, both of them, nothing spectacular. Like we said, no major wins, but Watford were the latest victims of Brighton as they lost 2-0 at home. Uh, and it means the Graham Potter side are unbeaten in the last seven games. Just how good of a manager are we talking about here, Alex? Or is this season a bit of an overachievement? Um, I've pra- praised Graham Potter on. I'm a part of the, basically the president of his fan club. And I've praised <laughs> him very highly on this, on this podcast before. For me, he should be the next England manager. 
think he could manage any top club in, in the Premier League. I think he's that good. And the sort of job that he's doing here, like you say, quietly, they, you know, they, they, they do spend money, but it's not like major investment. But you can just tell when you watch Brighton that they're just a very well-coached club, well-coached team and every player knows their job. Um, you just sort of have to look at like how he's getting the best out of Tarek Lamptey, who I thought was really good at the weekend. Um, he hasn't, didn't have much luck with injuries at the start of the season. I think this was only his like sec, uh, third 90 minutes of the season. But yeah, he was excellent and yeah, he's got everything. But yeah, just all over the pitch, they just, yeah, like I say, every, just every player knows their job in that team. And um, yeah, yeah, unbeaten in seven. I really think they could get a European place and, and I think they'd do well in Europe next year. But yeah, Graham Potter's, he's going right to the top, I think. I, I just want to agree with all of that and just add it. I saw earlier that Brighton have gone the longest in the Premier League, I think, without conceding more than two goals in an away game. Longer than all of your sort of big six clubs. They've not conceded more than two goals in an away game um, for over a year now, which I think is oh, wow. a, a pretty mental stat for a team yeah. like that. I think yeah. they, they've only City, Liverpool and Chelsea have lost more than them, I think, as well, this season. Only only a few, uh, a few losses as well. As for Watford, though, uh, Roy Hodgson said after the game, in the first half, we didn't play anywhere near as well as I was expecting. Now, I don't know which Watford games you've seen this season, Roy, but what <laughs> were you expecting exactly? Because there's a reason, that, firstly, you're in, and secondly, that your side is 19th. Um, <laughs> Lewis, what's the Watford plan of action to get out of this one? I, I don't see one. I don't see a plan. I don't see Watford. I think the one thing Watford had for me over some of the other teams down there at the bottom of the league, like Alex mentioned, Burnley's attacking record... I could see Watford scoring goals more freely than Burnley and maybe Norwich. And defensively, they're as bad as anyone in the league. And I think by appointing Roy Hodgson, you've basically prioritised trying to fix that defence and be organised. But you've also guaranteed that those players that were thriving the first half of the season, even when things weren't going that well, like Emmanuel Dennis, are not going to get the chances that they were getting. So... Even if they sort of fix up a little bit at the back, I don't think they're going to be creating any chances to make the most of it at the other end. I just don't see any way that they stay up now. Yeah, for me, them and Burnley look a bit of a certainty at the minute. I think I'm going to add Norwich as well. Uh, moving on, though, to the King Power, where Leicester blew it late on again. Again, this is I think it's Brighton, Spurs and now West Ham that Leicester have conceded late goals. Um, David Moyes' team picked up a point late on, crucial to their Champions League challenge. And it's fair to say without Evans and Fofana that Leicester have a rather soft underbelly in central defence. But since when has Soyuncu been this bad? And I know Vestergaard isn't the answer to any sort of defensive question. But Rodgers, can he not attempt to cover this up with a bit of a change in tactic, Alex? Yeah, I mean, their record of conceding from set pieces has been there for everyone to see for the past two seasons, I think. And it, it is strange that a, a coach, as someone looking from the outside, a coach like Rogers seems so like detailed and precise with everything he does. And it seems like he, even if it doesn't come off sometimes, he seems like he has a plan for everything. But to let this sort of rumble on for so long, I don't know, it does seem strange. But I think Vestergaard was the sort of, that they tried to just like buy their way out of that problem, really. And Vestergaard has just been a terrible signing for them, which it's a bit of a surprise, really, because I thought he was pretty good at Southampton. Yeah, yeah he was. Yeah, he wasn't. He wasn't great at the weekend as well. Um, but I mean, 
we might not, not be having this conversation if the referee had given a handball, which I thought it was. So, yeah, it sort of tells you how the fine margins in the Premier League. But, yeah, the, the, there were signs for Leicester. I think they, they did look decent. They've, yeah, they've, they weren't great, uh, certainly over Christmas and the start of January. But I do, I do think there were signs there. But, yeah, it was... Yeah, I really don't know how, how they solve their problems from, from set pieces, to be honest. He's another one I think could be on the way out soon. Who knows? Maybe Rogers at Leeds. Um, Lewis, though, how big is West Ham's potential top four finish when it comes to keeping Declan Rice? The, um, the, so, so the reason I ask is, I think Leicester are a very good example that they've got players who've decided to jump ship when they were on top and basically avoided the downfall. So I think Tielemans is saying he won't renew because he basically knows which direction Leicester are headed in. So if West Ham don't make the top four, does Rice see this as his moment to jump or, or does he try again with them next season? No, I think you're right. I think West Ham have been good for not just this season, but good last season as well, the second half of last season. They were excellent. And I don't see Declan Rice staying there. I think if you've got Champions League football, you can convince him to do one more season mm. with the club and sort of lead them into that. If you miss out on Champions League football, they're already in the Europa League this year, so that's not something new that's been achieved. I can see, you know, pretty much every top rich team in the league, City, Chelsea, United, maybe Liverpool, maybe it would be too expensive for Liverpool, but certainly those other three going big for Declan Rice in the summer. I can see Man United especially picking Declan Rice as the guy to come in and fix that midfield. And you'd find it very hard for, or he'd find it very hard surely to turn that down if West Ham aren't in the Champions League because what else realistically is there to achieve that looks like it's on the horizon for them if they miss out on that this year? Yeah, I think unfortunately most of these players, I'm I'm thinking about Kante obviously when they when they won the league. Riyad Mahrez is another one, Maguire. They left because they sensed that the the long-term possibilities of Champions League football and trophies wasn't exactly at Leicester. And it sounds a bit harsh, but players like James Madison, Harvey Barnes, Fafana, if they decide to stick around, you know, the same thing could happen with Rice at West Ham as well. Even Jared Bowen. And I think yeah. he's been brilliant. So, yeah, he has been good. Yeah, it's a good finish as well. Yeah, exactly. Oh, the, talking of the defending, it's just one long ball over the top. <laughs> yeah. So then she was yeah. doing, you know, turning around in circles. I was like, what is going on? <laughs> Madness. Anyway, next up is Manchester United versus Southampton, which ended in a one-all draw. The third one of the week for United, including the penalty loss to Middlesbrough, the draw at Burnley, and now this. Um the regular line trotted out by every media outlet is that basically they condemn United to mediocrity, shame them for not winning. But should we actually be talking about another good result from a strong Southampton team? Uh, after the 3-2 win at Spurs, they've now lost just one of the last 10 matches in all competitions. I mean, any result here was going to be better than the 9-0 loss last year at Old Trafford. But this performance was particularly good, wasn't it, Alex? Yeah, they've... they really surprised me actually they're like it's been a bit of a theme in this podcast but a club that have sort of gone about things very quietly um and then have just yeah just really turned turned the corner like you say one loss in the last 10 matches i thought i mean as yeah as bad as man united were southampton were impressive especially in the second half good to see che adams back in the goals i think he's a really good striker him and broha up front that seemed really be working after Southampton lost things I wondered where their goals were going to come from but 
I mean, maybe they probably could be scoring a few more goals, but yeah, there's yeah with the Brother Adams partnership seems to be working really well. Ward Prowse, I mean, he's probably the most consistent player in the Premier League, isn't he? He's just he's always there. He's always seven, eight out of ten. Um, Stuart Armstrong's been really good in the past few weeks as well on the right hand side. El Yunusi's come back from Celtic on loan and um, as as impressed as well. So yeah, they're they're just a very solid team, aren't they? That you know they're. They're probably not going to challenge for Europe this season and they're definitely not going to go down. But you can see if Hasenhutl does stay, which I know after his quotes in the uh, last week, that might not be the case. But you can definitely see that there's there's something brewing there at Southampton. But yeah, I guess we'll go on to Man United, but Man United were, were pretty bad in the second half. They, they were pretty poor. Um, Lewis, you're up to date with all things Dortmund over here in Germany. Um, how do you think Randnick can get Sancho back to the Dortmund version of Sancho? The one that they obviously paid all a lot of money for. Um, did we see any of it at the weekend? I think we saw bits. Like Alex just said United were poor in the in the second half. And I thought that was the case at Burnley last week as well. And the difference for, for Sancho in particular, the last couple of games, is he's actually been playing on the left. And United signed him and he spent most of his time on the right so far this season. And I thought he looked really sharp against Burnley. And again, United in the first half were great. They dominated completely. They had two disallowed, I think, from from offsides or one for an offside and one for a foul. They had Nick Pope pulling out two or three really important saves and they obviously went in 1-0 up. And it, was, it wasn't quite that level of domination against Southampton, but it was similar. And, you know... Sancho scored and 1-0 up. Sancho put Ronaldo through and he went round Fraser Forster and had his shot sort of cleared off the line more or less. So there are glimpses there. It's it's not quite there yet, but I think you're starting to see the signs. He obviously played on the left as well and he scored in the FA Cup against Middlesbrough. So it's not £75 million worth of performance at the minute, but it's two games in a row at Old Trafford with a goal, I think. So finally, it looks like things are slowly starting to come together and click. It's just difficult, I think, playing for him where he's gone from being a a superstar at Borussia Dortmund and now he has to share that limelight or not even, but play second or third fiddle when you consider Ronaldo and Bruno Fernandes as well. If anyone's got the ball at Man United and dominating games and dictating things, it's going to be Bruno Fernandes and it has been for the last couple of years. So I think Sancho's still finding his role amongst that a little bit, but it's starting to look a little bit better, I think. That's what I always thought about it, was that Sancho hasn't really been given a consistent run. Like I seem to remember him being in that Dortmund team, in you know, unless he's injured or suspended or anything, pretty much 90% of the time. Like He was one of the nailed-on starters. And I think there's something to be said for a younger player to basically play his way out of bad form. And, you know, if you're up yeah. to the standards of United and you have a bad game, you're out for the next two or three matches. Yeah, and you, or, you know, maybe you play the cup games or 20 minutes off the bench or something like that. And mm. I think you're right. I think especially him arriving at a new club and there's been a managerial change. He arrived at a new club after the summer that he had where he had this weird thing of being a star in Germany and then he plays for England and... A lot of England fans still have barely ever seen him play and he wasn't getting on the pitch at all for Gareth Southgate. And then he gets asked in the final to take a crucial penalty, having barely kicked a ball all night or kicked a meaningful ball really in the whole tournament, misses the penalty. And then 
instead of going back to where it's sort of familiar and welcoming and homely, he's suddenly at a new club off the back of that, having to prove himself all over again to people. So I don't think, just because of the way the Euros panned out for him, I don't think it was an ideal time for that transfer. And on top of that, United then go and sign Cristiano Ronaldo afterwards, which pushes him out to the margin a little bit more. And suddenly he's not just competing with Bruno Fernandes to be the guy who wants to lead the team and the guy that everyone looks to with Ronaldo there, that was just never going to happen for Sancho straight away. So it's been a sort of an imperfect storm for him a little bit, I think. And now he's got a manager who has watched him in Germany every week for the past few years. I don't think it's that much of a coincidence that he's starting to play a little bit more, a little bit more from the start, a little bit more in a position that he's better at or better from. And I think you're starting to see Jaden Sancho as he was in Germany now. I, I honestly look forward to it. I think for a young English guy, I think he's phenomenally talented. So who knows? Maybe he'll he'll start to turn things around if he gets more game time. Um, we move on to the final Premier League game of the weekend, but there's lots more coming up. Got some hot topics to discuss and a good question of the week for you two as well. Uh, the less said about Brentford Crystal Palace, the better. <laughs> I, I saw Patrick Vieira was, was talking after the game about talent isn't enough and I was thinking I'm not quite sure there was much talent on the pitch to be honest it, it really wasn't the greatest game uh, I think the only positive thing of note was Christian Eriksen's introduction to the Brentford faithful it looks like he'll be in the squad for next week's game against Arsenal I believe it is on Saturday evening um, what are you expecting from him Alex do you think he'll be a bit part, bit part player or are you expecting a, an immediate star of him to be made um i mean it depends on his health doesn't it mm. i think if if he can prove that he is able to play 90 minutes and he's fit enough then he is a star in that Brentford team and he will be their best player by by a mile i'd say but yeah i mean there's much more important things than being a premier league footballer around there so yeah i'm, I'm sure thomas frank and everyone and the team at Brentford will just take it minute by minute game by game and yeah hopefully by the end of the season He'll be, yeah, or back to some sort of fitness and he'll be able to get in the Denmark squad for the World Cup and, yeah, things will can just carry on as normal for him. But, yeah, they're, they're, I'm sure that they'll take things slow through now and then. The, um, the Tottenham fan in me wants him to play against Arsenal for the last few minutes. Free kick, edge <laughs> of the box. <laughs> Prime Ericsson. <laughs> uh, that was the ninth Premier League game of the weekend. The 10th wasn't there and it was Chelsea against Arsenal, postponed, because Chelsea were winning the Club World Cup against Palmeiras in extra time, which now means that they've won every single trophy that is possibly available to the football club in the Roman Abramovich era. And that is, when was that? Almost 20 years ago. So... Not bad. Whatever you say about them changing their managers a lot, Chelsea have set themselves up for success. But we'll move on to the hot topic for this week. As the Champions League returns, that is what we're looking forward to in February. None of this Valentine's Day nonsense. Um, it's a massive game. I think that's an understatement of PSG against Real Madrid. There's talk over Pochettino's future. There's talk over Lionel Messi against his former eternal rivals. Um, but the biggest headline has to go to Kylian Mbappe who is playing against what seems to be his future employer. Me and Lewis were talking about this a little bit earlier on. Uh, Alex, I want to get your thoughts as well on this debate. Is it now or never for PSG in the Champions League? Um, no, 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 I don't think so. I think they're always, as long as the Qataris are there, they're always going to have the funds and the means to be able to put together 
a world class squad. I do think for this I team, felt, then yeah, maybe maybe for this team it is. And I, they've all, they've sort of slow. They were sort of like perennial bottlers in Europe, weren't they, for for quite a long time. I guess you know you think back to the remontada against Barcelona and losing to Man City and all that sort of stuff. But I don't know. They do. I mean, I'd, I'm not going to lie and say I watch Liga on every week, but they're sort of running away with with that league. But, I, but it's going to be really interesting that game tomorrow night. It's definitely the one I'm most looking forward to over over these last 16 fixtures because. Yeah, Real Madrid sort of seemed like they were slowly going about their business, but they've had a few like they drew at the weekend. They've had a few like weird results recently. So, yeah, it's going to be an absolutely fascinating one. I can it it'd be the sort of game where Real Madrid will either sneak a one nil or PSG could beat them four nil. Do you know what I mean? It's going to be one of those. But yeah, I'm going to be yeah, and, and obviously that Messi against Real Madrid. It's all set up for him to perform against his former rival. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to this one. It's going to be great. Yeah, me too. It's definitely it's definitely the the tie of the round. And Lewis, I know we were speaking earlier a bit about it, but this PSG squad with Messi going to be thirty five, I believe, uh, later on in the year. Di Maria not being handed the new contract, and Mbappe seemingly to be at Real Madrid. Which kind of players can you see really being stars then for PSG in the future? Who is Neymar going to be passing the mantle on to? It's a tough one. I mean, with Mbappe leaving, obviously he would have been the obvious mm. one. And now you look at it and you think, what are PSG going to look like in a couple of years? I think three, four years from now, it will be an entirely different team, basically. They've obviously done a little bit of business already to bring in uh, Donnarumma and Akraf Hakimi last summer. And I think those two are, are two in their positions, are two world-class players who now PSG will not be letting go of anytime soon. Mm. Other than that, yeah, Di Maria, Messi, Neymar's 30. I think Verratti's 29 now, definitely in his late 20s. You're sort of looking around thinking, I mean, they've got all that money, so they obviously will replace these players. But it's going to be a couple of years, I think, after Mbappe's gone now. This summer, presumably, Messi will be 35 I think they'll be scrambling around for a couple of years. It'll be a couple of quiet years for PSG in terms of getting far in the Champions League and competing as they sort of put that next team together that can maybe go all the way. That's the thing. They've got to put a whole team together. I think it's not... It's taken them this long to get this team together. I mean, obviously, there were a lot of signings before this point, but the 2017 point of Neymar signing, right? Neymar was the beginning of the project. I know there were a few others there at that time as well. To get the front three of someone of Mbappe, Neymar, Messi's quality has taken them five years. So it's not it's not quite as easy as just sort of buying in a couple of players. And I think you're right. I think for the future, uh, what's the, Nuno Mendes, the left back they signed from Sporting. Mm-hmm. Um, looks like he could go on to be a good player. And they've got Xavi Simons, who they brought in from Barcelona, who's being given bits and pieces in the in central midfield. But yeah, again, Julian Draxler, Paredes, Garner Gay, not quite, I would say, Champions League winning level. Marquinhos is very good, again, 30 years old. Sergio Ramos has probably got a year left in him at best. Um, it looks like he could be injured for the match as well. So it's going to take something. Uh, we're talking a generational change, I think, at PSG. And I think the one thing that always comes to mind with me at PSG is marquee signings. Of course, you know, there's always one big guy. Vlahovic, Juventus, Mbappe's leaving for Real Madrid. I don't think Haaland goes to PSG, in, in no. all honesty. 
Um, oh. I'm trying to think who's the guy, who's the signing that kickstarts this new era. Um, what a, I can't think. What a sort of loss that they've had when we talk about this, this team being old now or older now. And then you look and think that they've had on the books Kingsley Coleman and Furlan Mendy and Musa Diaby and Christopher Nkunku. And they've not kept any of them. Like all of these guys would be knocking on the door or be in the first team now or within the next yeah. year or two. And because at 19, 20, 21, they didn't offer them the first team football that they wanted, they've lost every single one of them, which is unforgivable, I think, as term, in terms of building a squad and building a team that can compete, not just now, but in two or three years. So you reckon they need to get rid that, of a few of the old it, ones? Isn't Sorry? part of the problem, like, the, isn't part of the problem that they, they're sort of looking at, like, the Real Madrid Galacticos era and thinking, oh, yeah, yeah we exactly. definitely need to repl replicate that. That didn't work that well for Real Madrid's Galacticos. So <laughs> I'm not sure it's, it's like, a great way of doing business. It, I, I was thinking maybe Lautaro Martinez might be, might be a striker that would work well at PSG, but I don't know. It's just, there's always going to be the problem for PSG is they can... Like they're not playing that well in league going from what from what I've seen and I and I read, but they're going to win the league by twenty twenty five points, and that's always going to be an issue when they come to the crunch Champions League games, and they're not fluent in their you know like final third, and they're struggling to like break down teams or whatever it is. I think there's always going to be that disconnect, and I'm not really sure how that can be, to be honest. But but maybe you 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 solve that by not just buying the world's most famous footballers you to try and like get a team and a squad that couldn't function properly that's it you stop playing football manager basically is what <laughs> yeah, it comes down yeah. to at the end of the day um <laughs> we'll finally come on then to our question of the week i've sort of mixed the question of the week with with a bit of an englishman abroad um for listeners out there we know we always take a bit of a look at and English players playing abroad. We've looked at Tammy Abraham in the past, certainly having a really good season with Roma. This one's Marcus Edwards in Portugal. Mm. If you remember, he was at the Spurs Academy, a few loans, and he went to Vitoria de Guimaraes in Portugal. Has now signed for Sporting. Lovely pronunciation, nice. by the way, Matt. Yeah, yeah I was, I, I was practicing, that. practicing that all day. <laughs> all day. Um, so he, he, he was there and moved to Sporting for around 7.5 million, which... Do you know, to take the risk of moving to a club outside or on the perimeter of the top five leagues and then earn earn a transfer into one of the big boys is pretty good. But they were involved in one of the most astonishing football matches I think I've ever seen on Friday night. I don't know if either of you watched Porto against Sporting. Please inform me, Matt, what happened. I, I don't know where to start, whether it's four goals, nine yellow cards, five red cards, a mass brawl <laughs> in the 100th minute. It was, it was everything I'd hoped it'd be. And it leads me on to my question of the week. And my question is, I'll give you one guess each as to who you think one of the red cards went to for Porto. Was it uh, Pepe? <laughs> it was Pepe. <laughs> I knew that yeah. you'd only need one guess. That's why yeah. I gave you one. Amazingly, <laughs> right? Amazingly, one of these five red cards only happened during the game. So oh, it was okay. um, Sebastian Quartes, formerly of Liverpool. None before yeah. kickoff, tell me. Uh, number four kickoff, number <laughs> four kickoff. So Quartes got a yellow card. Um, the Sporting were two goals up. I should set a bit of context. They were 2 0 up, they um, were six points. 
behind Porto, who were top of the table at the start of play. Went 2-0 up. Quarter's got sent off. They ends up throwing it away. The game finished 2 all. So Porto keep their six-point lead at the top of the division. And after the match, there was a scrap on the line and they looked like a swarm of bees. <laughs> it, it was the players, the coaches, the, the, um, the stewards, some match officials. Everyone is running around the whole pitch just trying to sort out fights. The Porto sub-goalkeeper got sent off after the match. Um, Augustin Marquezin, Pepe got sent off, Palinha and Tabata from Sporting got sent off. It was it was absolute carnage, honestly. I, at one point, I was thinking to myself, why don't they just let them all go at it? Why did the ref <laughs> just say, you know what, the game's done, you drew to all, I'm going to go write up the match report and whatever happens on the field happens. <laughs> or build an octagon in the middle. <laughs> because at, at, at one point, for the last two red cards... That the linesman was running around like being a little snitch, sort of like telling the teacher. <laughs> like the linesman was going, "Oh, I saw that. It was him. It was him. It was him." And the ref, the ref. I'm not even kidding. It looked to me. I was watching the highlights um, back again. The referee had two red cards on him. He was that prepared that he had two separate <laughs> red cards, like Kill Bill. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He was. He, yeah, it was the maddest thing ever, and. Um, so yeah, he was dishing out yeah four red cards after the final whistle. So it went down as the the um, ninety plus ten. It went down as for those four red cards. Nice. And the best thing about it <laughs> is that they've got two legs of the Portuguese semi final in the cup to play against yeah. each other as well. So for those of you interested, I'll be, there's still more. I'll be tuning into that. Then. Yeah, the two more episodes <laughs> in the series. Um, but I knew you'd get the question. Because nice. it's, what, it's what Pepe does. And, and amazingly, yeah. Sporting have got to somehow forget about it, get their act together and face Manchester City on yes. Tuesday yeah. night. So just when you thought it couldn't get as tough, they go ahead and face City. Uh, but yeah, that is everything for this week's episode of the Premier League podcast. A little bit of European football sprinkled in there as well. Um, you can tweet us again throughout the week with any sort of interesting football bits you want to discuss you can tweet me at matt underscore frolic or at one football as well you can also drop us an email the uh, address is podcast at onefootball.com that's all we have time for thank you to my guests as always i hope you've enjoyed listening and we'll be back again next week so see you.